This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody, welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is the super spooky scary Jonathan Strickland. I go bump in the night. Boop. Hey, hey, Ariel, I got a spooky question for you. So we are we are officially in the Halloween season, Ariel, which means that for the next like four episodes, there's going to be some spookiness. Uh, But this first one we're going to ease into. I didn't want to throw the heaviest spooky questions at you first thing. So this question is more about. What are some of your favorite fall or Halloween centric activities? Uh, I like to go apple picking and then bake things with apples. This is true. That's- I, I knew this of Ariel already because every year she goes apple picking. I so so like you said, fall centric, and so it is my pre Thanksgiving activity. It, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a Halloween activity, but it is my favorite pre-Thanksgiving preparatory festival activity. Um, yes. What about, oh, and decorating for the trick-or-treaters. I do like handing out um, full-size candy bars for the, like the three kids we get every year. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I, well, so I've only ever done it one time and then COVID happened, but uh, I had a blast going through a corn maze a couple of years ago went with uh with my wife rebecca and our friend shay she came along you've heard us talk about shay shay is kind of like an honorary lnc member at this point hi Um, shay hi shay she does listen to the show uh so we all went together to this fall festival thing that had a corn maze and a little like hayride and stuff and had a good time. And I really enjoyed the corn maze. I thought it was a lot of fun. Or a maze maze, if you like. <laughs> was it scurry? It was not scurry. It was just festive. Like they had, you know, some jack-o'-lanterns and stuff. But it was more like fall festival and less spooky horror. So um, I've never done a haunted house. 
apart from like mm-hmm. the haunted mansion, which I don't count. Um, really? I've never done like a haunted hayride or anything like that. It's so it was just like, you know, it was chill. Sometimes literally it was kind of chilly that day um, and fun. I cannot believe you've never done a haunted house. We I have, have so never. many of them in Georgia. I know we have Netherworld, which is one of the really like the premier haunted houses in the United States, mm-hmm. particularly, I mean, real definitely in the Southeast. Uh, but I have never, ever. I know people who've worked them, but I've never yeah. been to one. Man, going going to a haunted house when while working Renaissance Festival was miserable because the actors aren't supposed to touch you. But if they know you, sometimes they get a little loose and fast with that rule. Um, yeah, because yeah, there, there's a there's a bit of a crossover between the Renaissance Festival uh, crowd and the haunted house crowd. A lot of the same yeah. actors will do both gigs. Yeah, I um nope, still have never done one. I don't know if it would be my thing or not. Like, like I definitely appreciate the art, right? I appreciate what it's mm-hmm. all about. About the scares and all that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be one of those jerks trying to, you know, put on a tough face and not act like, ugh, that's nothing. Cause I'm an actor too. I hate that. Like if you're up on stage and you're giving it your all and the audience is giving you nothing, there is no feeling that's worse in the world. So I would never want them to, but at the same time I would be like, do I play it up? Do I go, ah, (laughs) like, like, or maybe I'd be legitimately scared. I don't know because I've never done one. I um, I, I tend to like the like the fantastic. I've done Netherworld quite a few times, and usually, if I'm not with a big group, I introduce myself to the people in front of me and then bury my face in their back. Uh, <laughs> times. Like I am oh. the person. I am the person who will be using you as a human shield. It's nice to meet you. I have legitimately said that in the past when I did not have enough friends to buffer myself from the haunts. Um, like I, I, I prefer the more fantastical haunted houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that are more like real life, grotesque or scary or saw like, I don't like um, as much or like 3d ones. So usually half of Netherworld would be really for me. And then half of Netherworld would be really not for me, but yeah. you know, like if you, if for instance, if you're going through and looking at art, you can look and try to anticipate where the the jumps or the scares or the haunts are going to be, or you can go through and enjoy the creation of the world they've built and then be genuinely startled when someone jumps out at you. You know, that's, I know somebody who was working a haunted house once who got punched in the face though, because the recipient's uh, reaction to fear was fight, not flight. Um, so just don't do that. Yeah. I, I, I would definitely want to be a good, you know, patron, right? I'd want to mm-hmm. be one of the people that at the end of the night, maybe some of the actors are getting together and talking They're like, oh, yeah, there's this one bald guy. He had the best scream. It was great. <laughs> like, I would like to be that dude, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. my masculinity is not threatened by the fact that I'm, I am easily startled. Uh, also, as I have made clear on this very podcast in the past, I am not observant. So I am not likely to notice (laughs) the obvious setup for a scare and thus it will work like gangbusters on me. Nice. So, so that will be our 2022, uh, fall a day goal for you. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a podcast recorded live at netherworld and it'll just be me going, ah, which, you know, Oh, it won't be just you. It okay, that's good. It'll be, I won't be alone in that. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk now about some news items, and we're going to kind of breeze through some of these because we've got quite a few we want to cover before we get to the next section. But the first is to follow up on a story we talked about last week, which was uh, IATSE, the the professional association that is uh, for the below-the-line uh, crew members who work on various movie and TV productions, including streaming productions, they held a vote to authorize a strike and the vote passed with a 98% support level, which is incredible. Now this does not mean that they've gone on strike. It means they've authorized a strike, which gives the union leads more leverage when they go back to the negotiating table to talk about getting better benefits. Which they're doing, um, which they started doing this week. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers did go back to the table with IATSE um, to try to uh, find an agreement with them following the vote. The AMPTP said that it remains 
they remain committed to reaching an agreement that will keep the industry working. They deeply value their IATSE crew members and are committed to working with them to avoid shutting down the industry at such a pivotal time, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic. So it would have been nice if they had said this before the strike vote. Yeah, well, it also would have been nice if that uh, commitment that they talk about had actually come through in the various actions that have led people to want to strike in the first place, right? Like the reason why people are willing to go, because obviously going on strike is an enormous sacrifice, right? It's not like it's fun. It's not like you're making money while you're doing it. You are, you are putting your livelihood on hold in an effort to get better treatment from your employers. And if it weren't for the fact that conditions were at a point where it was necessary for this, then we wouldn't be where we are today. Uh, I am hopeful that because they had that 98% support, like it was pretty clear that they were going to get the votes needed to authorize a strike. The question was, would it be enough to send a message to say, no, we are serious and it's the overwhelming majority? Well, 98%, I think, exceeds pretty much everyone's estimation of what it was going to be. Now, the 98% is of those who voted, but I think even that was over 80% of union members. So still very, very high numbers. Yep. And uh, what about our next story? Because this is one that I have expressed some skepticism about, but this particular news is kind of interesting. Yeah. So uh, Wonka, which is the prequel starring Timothy Chalamet um, to like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at all, has begun filming Mm -hmm. and they've announced more of the cast members. So we talked about this earlier on the pandemic and we had said that, you know, it was being headed up by... Uh, the gentleman who worked on Paddington. Yeah, Paul King. Which, Paul King, Paddington 2, he co-wrote um, it. And um, he, Paddington has been one of those movies that has surprised many adults as being actually quite fun and has gotten a lot of uh, very, very large name actors involved in it. And that is also true for Wonka. So... We're getting Rowan Atkinson, Olivia Coleman, uh, Rich Fulcher, Sally Hawkins, all kinds of people who have d- Keegan Michael Key, yep. uh, all kinds of people who who are award winning actors and then also award winning like producers and costume designers and things like that, all involved in this prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it's. It's enough to make me really interested. First of all, like, I love Rowan Atkinson. I was a huge Black Adder fan. Uh, not as much Mr. Bean. I liked Mr. Bean, but I'm I'm an enormous Black Adder fan. Uh, Rich Fulcher, I think of from the Mighty Boosh. Uh, that I I know him as a crazy American who shows up in a lot of British comedies. But uh, I love that the story that that Ariel linked to mentions him as an, uh, a member of the cast of Marriage Story because I haven't seen Marriage Story, but I did a double take because I've never thought of Rich Fulcher as a serious actor. <laughs> and I was just like, so I was immediately imagining him playing a part of Marriage Story where he was just his, you know, over-the-top comedic self. <laughs> that That is pretty funny. I also have not watched Marriage Story, but I I love when comedic actors go dramatic, so... Um, I would probably at least enjoy his performance. Yeah. Hugh Laurie made it work. So that that's uh, now I'm like, I was, I was already kind of interested because I had heard the reputation of Paddington and Paddington two, which I haven't seen yet and I need to see it. So that had already got me a little curious. This makes me more curious, which makes me kind of hate myself because I was so gung ho on not, caring about a Willy Wonka prequel. And now I kind of do. I get it. Cause yeah, when they first announced it, I was like, you Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory was a really well done movie. I didn't like the Johnny Depp one. I don't think we need more of it. You know, if you even look at the original story, even though the, the house of Roald Dahl has been trying to correct some of his past misgivings and missteps and issues. um, You know, it's, it's a story that if you go back to some of the past, you're like, mm, do we really want to explore that? But well, and and plus, like a, a big appeal to me for the character of Willy Wonka is the mysterious nature of the character. And if you 
explore a character's backstory, then you are by definition removing some of that mystery, which is part of what made the character so appealing to me. And that's what kind of worries me. Now, the nice thing is no matter what that 1971 Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka film will still exist. I actually recently purchased it in ultra 4k Blu-ray. Wow. <laughs> so it's one of the ultra 4k Blu-rays that I own. Um, so yeah, I, I, that'll still exist and I, I can still enjoy it all on its own. Even if ultimately I decide like this version, even if it's a great movie, if it kind of removes the mystery behind Willy Wonka, I can kind of, you know, forget that it exists. Speaking of uh, classic media that you don't want to be rewritten over, we've got an article about the Peanuts and a new holiday special. Yeah, Peanuts, a.k.a. the Charlie Brown gang. Everyone probably thinks of it more as Charlie Brown than Peanuts. Uh, Yeah, this is another one of those things that could have easily been forgotten, but we are getting a new Charlie Brown special, uh, one that is going to be focused on the new year and the little summary that we got sounds classic Charlie Brown. I'm totally digging it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says in for odd Lang Syne, which is the name of the special after the peanuts gang experience a disappointing Christmas because grandpa can't visit Lucy resolves to throw herself the best new year's Eve party ever while Charlie Brown struggles to accomplish just one of his resolutions before the clock strikes 12 end quote. Um, apparently this is based off of a, a, an old Charles Schultz comic strip. So, oh, excellent. I didn't even know that. And I i mean, I used to have like all the Charlie Brown books, but I just I love that that plot point of Charlie Brown just determined to try and complete one of the resolutions he had for that year before it becomes the new year. Like that is the most Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown thing I've ever heard. I agree. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. I really like Charlie Brown and Snoopy and the Peanuts. Yeah, me too. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of our reactions to some recent trailers, one of which is House of the Dragon. That is the prequel series to Game of Thrones, because obviously HBO and Warner Brothers want uh, a reason to print more money. And they ran out of they ran out of the Song of Ice and Fire books. So now they have Mm -hmm. to make new ones. Uh, You saw this trailer. What did you think? I think it looked like Game of Thrones with a lot more Targaryens. Uh, yeah, that's that. Okay, you you said what I would say. The uh, the <laughs> honestly the most surprising part was that Max that Matt Smith, uh, aka Doctor Eleven, Doctor Who number eleven, looks really good in a long white wig. Uh, I just thought he looked weird, but I always think he looks weird. He always looks <laughs> a little alien to me. So yeah, uh, that's I don't mean that in a bad way. Like I don't mean like bad weird just he's got a unique kind of look to him and even with the white wig that uniqueness comes through yeah he's playing uh the younger brother of one of the big targaryens this shows how much i know about hi tybalt how much i know about game of thrones um it sounds like from the trailer uh it's i think matt smith is doing the voiceover and it sounds like he's kind of like ah sigh yeah we we're not as good as we say um, is the impression I get from him. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's supposed to follow the story of like a, my dog. It's no, it's not supposed to follow the story of my dog. It's supposed <laughs> oh, to follow. I'm definitely watching it. I mean, a, a, a series with Tybalt would be adorable and obnoxious as you can hear in the background. But, <laughs> um, but no, it's supposed to follow like a civil war among the Targaryens uh, mm-hmm. among that house uh, from what I understand. But like, I really fell off the game of Thrones stuff. So I don't know that this is going to bring me into it. Uh, I'm sure it will have the same production values, the same amount of drama, probably lots of brother and sisters getting closer than I would care to Uh. watch. Cause that's, uh, that's one of the Targaryens. Like that's one of the things that makes them who they are. They got to keep those bloodlines pure. Um, I mean, it it's a historical thing, but well, the historical I mean, thing I tends to be it. more the historical thing tends to be more cousins than siblings. Yeah. But uh, yeah, true. good old George R. R. Martin decides to up it a notch. Well, let's talk about uh-huh. a, a different trailer, a trailer for Cyrano. It is another adaptation of the 19th century play Cyrano de Bergerac. This time, 
the main character is not a, a, a tall man with lots of panache who happens to have a very long nose. It is instead Peter Dinklage playing the role of Cyrano. Uh, yes, Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones and many other things. Uh, the, the trailer for that, if you haven't watched it, you should. Uh, this is one of those classics that I we've had a couple of versions of Cyrano de Bergerac, including one, I think, with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. Um, Roxanne. Roxanne is, yeah. a, is a loose adaptation of Cyrano. But it's one of those stories that I feel like comes up so like remakes come up so infrequently that I'm always delighted when I see they're making a new one. And Peter Dinklage is a cutie. So other than his they're playing off the fact that he's so short. But yeah. He's adorbs. So I love the idea of Peter Dinklage playing Cyrano. And I love the idea that they have, have kind of changed the physical aspect, but retained the spirit. What I did mm. not expect was that this is a musical that threw me off. I was watching, I was like ready to be totally on board. Cyrano de Bergerac is one of those plays that I absolutely adore. It has one of my favorite lines in drama ever. It is like mm-hmm. a punch to the sternum. That's how powerful the line is. So I was ready. I was all in. And then the music started and then Roxanne started singing. And I was like, uh oh, I didn't know it was a musical. And that 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 took me aback. So I'm not saying that's going to be bad. I'm not saying I'm not going to like it. But um, but it, 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 it made me take a step back from jumping totally on board. I get that. So when you told me, because you watched this trailer before I did today, and when you told me it was a musical, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could get behind that. And then the song was underwhelming, and it was the only song in the trailer. So it was, it's kind of like the first episode of Gallivant, where it was just the same song repeating over and over, and it was underwhelming. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I, I hope it will be great. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have preferred it to not be a musical. I, and I, this is coming from someone who loves musicals, by the way, I just don't feel that this one needed to be, uh, it already has a lot of melodramatic elements to it. If you are familiar with the original play, there is nothing mm-hmm. subtle about it. So for them to dial that up to 11 spinal tap style and make it a musical really kind of, uh, took me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, And we've got one last piece of news we're just going to touch briefly on because it is spooky season uh, to segue us into our next spooky segment, which is that Netflix is adapting the works of Edgar Allan Poe for a new series. Yeah, Mike Flanagan is heading it. He's the guy behind The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor and Midnight Mass. Uh, They're calling it The Fall of the House of Usher, which is a specific Edgar Allan Poe story. But apparently that's going to serve as kind of the connective tissue for different Edgar Allan Poe stories to be told throughout the season. So it's like that ends up being the bookend kind of element and that maybe the the House of Usher ties everything else in together. Uh, No word yet on which specific Edgar Allan Poe stories are going to be included, but Based upon the people involved and based upon the fact that I love the source material, I'm very much looking forward to this being really atmospheric and creepy. I I agree. Um, so I one of my first shows that I did that I acted in was a, a touring school show, or we were supposed to act in it. This one never actually took off, but it was the, the stories of Edgar Allan Poe, and I had to memorize uh, Annabelle Lee and Cask of Amontillado. Um, and I memorized Cask of Amontillado word for word um, as my stories to tell during this staged production of Poe's works. Um, Fascinating. I, you know, I was I was also in a staged production uh, that was inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. It was a one-man show about Edgar Allan Poe called I'm Just a Poe Boy, Nobody Loves Me. Is that true, Jonathan? No, no that's, that's what I like to call a lie. <laughs> I would watch it, though. I would watch it. But here's the thing. I like Poe's works, and I like reading them, and I had so much fun prepping for that show, even if it never took off. We had a few shows we were doing in that series, um, but that one never never booked, I guess. Um, I, I would be too scared to watch this series of it, though. His oh. stories are scary if you look at them. I mean, maybe so, but or- yeah. 
Did you ever watch The Haunting of Hill House? You know the answer to that, Jonathan. You should. It's so good. I watched House on Haunted Hill, like the very original one. <laughs> that's that's a different thing. Okay. Easily to, easy to mistake because there is there is the House on Haunted Hill and there's the Haunting of Hill House. Those are two different things, but they're very easy to mix up. And you know, I will I will probably I'm probably more likely to watch The Fall of the House of MC Escher. Um, but <laughs> where, where a bunch of impossible staircases just fall in on themselves. That's, that's why it's called the fall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure I am certain it will be very well done if nothing else. Well, one thing that we're certain has not been very well done is what we're going to talk about in our next segment. We're going to try and keep that short and sweet before, so we can get to our mashups, but first let's take a quick break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay, so back in December of 2020, Jonathan and I were looking at topics that we wanted to talk about, and there was some news about Universal's Dark Universe, I think about like paintings or something that were being sold. And we said, no, we're going to hold on to this topic until Halloween, and it's Halloween, and so now we can finally talk about the missteps of Universal's Dark Universe, which make me so, so sad. Right. <laughs> and in case you're not familiar with that whole concept, 
Universal was trying to do something similar to Marvel's Cinematic Universe or the Star Wars universe or even DC's Extended Universe, although that approach is kind of haphazard and all over the place, which we have covered on this show before. But they wanted to do it with properties that Universal owns the rights to, which includes all these classic movie monsters, some of which obviously come from fiction, like like novels and stuff. I mean, they're all fictional, but (laughs) some of them come from novels and stuff. But Universal owns the movie rights. So stuff like Frankenstein's monster and the Invisible Man and the creature from the Black Lagoon and the mummy and Dracula. Apparently, Phantom of the Opera and Quasimodo, though, I would say those two do not belong in the same category at all. Well, yeah, but they they do appear as like they are thought of as classic universal monsters. You know, you think about Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. and the characters that they made iconic. And that's all kind of wrapped up in this. So the idea Mm -hmm. was to create a franchise of movies that were tied together where you could have you know, monster films, either standalone ones or ones that they were kind of stitched together. And we saw a little bit of that because, well, first they tried it with Dracula untold. That was going to be kind of the soft entry into this dark universe, but Dracula untold did not do well, uh, either critically or at the box office. So universal kind of decided like, uh, a mulligan that that was not going to count. And that they were going to try again. And that's when they released the Tom Cruise mummy film. And you also had Russell Crowe show up in that as uh, as Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde. And it turned out he was supposed to be the Nick Fury type character who would tie together various monsters in the dark universe, extended universe, and that we would eventually start getting these other movies that would uh, establish those characters and also have them encounter one another and potentially go forward from there. But then the mummy didn't do so well. <laughs> it's so, fr- the mummy didn't do well either. No, it's so frustrating too. Wasn't there also like a Frankenstein, there was a Frankenstein movie that came out around those times. Uh, yeah, I, there were, there were, there was one. Oh gosh. Yeah. But I don't know if it falls in the. It doesn't. That one was a, um uh, a Max Landis movie. Uh, it also was not very good. No, there was one that it was that the one that had Daniel Radcliffe in it as Igor. Yes. Yeah, it was not very um, good. <laughs> yeah. So there were several attempts like that one. That one was not supposed to, as far as I know, was not officially supposed to be part of the dark universe. Like they even announced actors who were going to be attached to playing iconic characters. So, for example, Johnny Depp was supposed to be the invisible man. Um, and of course we did get an invisible man movie in 2020 that was not at least according to the director intended to be part of the dark universe, but now we have universal and Bloomberg, not Bloomberg, um, uh, Blumhouse, Blumhouse. Yeah. Bloomberg, something different Blumhouse (laughs) and universal perhaps kind of treating it like it might be another back end attempt to create a dark universe. (sighs) Maybe, or maybe that they'll just reboot their old monster movies, but in like how the DCEU is now where they're independent from each other, but they're all refreshers. I mean, on paper, this should be great. Like the old monster movies are wonderful. The Wolfman, I think I didn't watch it, but I, it got pretty good reviews. Um, And then, like, you also have League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which, while the movie they made was horrible, is this entire concept wrapped up in a comic book of all of these, like, The Invisible Man and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and all of these people who might be considered monstrous working together kind of like superheroes. Um, Yeah, although although the stuff that happens in that graphic novel does get brutally monstrous, particularly between the two characters you just mentioned. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of that, but, like... That comic series was very popular for a long time. So mm-hmm. it seems like Universal had a guideline to follow even vaguely that they could play with. Yeah, I would say that The Mummy was just a bad movie. Like, for one thing, the character that Tom Cruise plays, like he's he's sort of an Indiana Jones slash Lara Croft type uh, who then through the course of the film is hit with a mummy's curse but the mummy he's fighting isn't like the classic monster movie mummy and he's not the classic 
monster movie mummy. So it also comes down to this thing that we've both, you know, commented on before, which is where a studio wants to capitalize on the brand that's already been established, but change it so much that it no longer even resembles the thing that the brand was. And so they're trying to have it both ways and it's not connecting with fans of the classic monsters and it's not establishing new fans because the movie was terrible. So it's just a failure. And so we're seeing like these flailing attempts. uh, And the question is whether or not they're going to continue or they will just quietly brush aside the idea of a dark universe and go more the route you were saying, Ariel, where they do reboots and refreshes on these classic IPs, but they don't try and turn it into an interconnected universe. Yeah, I, I'd be fine with either. I just, since I have a hard time with scary movies, those classics were ones that I really enjoyed. Uh, And until I get a new, is it Swamp Thing or Creature from the Black Lagoon, either, both movie, I'm just going to be a sad, sad Ariel. Yeah, no, it would have to be Creature from the Black Lagoon. Warner Brothers could potentially do a Swamp Thing. Uh, I think I mean, DC they did a might TV own show. Swamp Thing. Yeah. DC does own S- Swamp Thing. So here's the thing. I I always got Creature from the Black Lagoon and Swamp Thing mixed up, although I like both. Um, and I do want a Creature from the Black Lagoon uh, reboot uh, movie. Not serious movie. Um, so the the... Swamp Thing DC TV show got canceled because of, from my understanding, confusions with tax reimbursements in the state where it was filming. Mm. Uh, And I was sad because I did not want to pay for the DC streaming service to watch it. But now it's on HBO and it is on my list of things to watch. And I don't know if they're ever going to do a second season or if the first season's any good because they had to cut it short. But I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see... I don't know. I I would love to see certain directors get a shot at making a new version of some of these classic uh, Mm -hmm. movie monster stories like Guillermo del Toro, I think, could make a phenomenal entry into into any of these classic characters like he could make an amazing movie filled with pathos. Like he can make you feel for the monster while still making the monster monstrous. I think that would be phenomenal. Or Mike Flanagan, the person we were chatting about with the, the haunting of Hill house and uh, the upcoming Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. I think he could make a really atmospheric like Dracula movie. I agree. My pick would be Jordan Peele. Yeah, that'd be great. Who would you, which, which uh, character would you want him to do? Honestly, I feel like he would best handle Frankenstein's monster or possibly either Quasimodo or Phantom of the Opera. The two that I feel like aren't really monsters, but because he does really good social commentary. I think think for that reason, he would also be great for a bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Yes. That would also Mm. be quite good. Yeah. No, these would be, these are the sort of things where I would really be excited to hear, like to give it to, directors who have a particular strong voice and perspective. It's one of the things that I find frustrating about the Marvel movies, because even though I love the Marvel movies, you get the feeling that with a few exceptions, uh, Taika Waititi being one of them, that directors aren't given enough leeway so that their voice comes through. The Marvel voice is more important than the director's voice. So we've seen a couple directors leave because of that. So yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why Marvel tends to go for people who aren't necessarily associated with big name films because the studio can have more leverage over someone who isn't already a household name. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's getting into the politics of movie making, which maybe we'll do a full discussion about that at some point, because it is both fascinating and frustrating, uh, both for, for, you know, audiences and for filmmakers. But Mm -hmm. yeah, um, here's hoping that we do get some really great films that feature these beloved characters. I just, I just want to see it in a way that doesn't feel like they're shoving 
a dark universe structured down our throats and trying to, to build like Notre Dame cathedral all at once instead of brick by brick. I, I agree with that. Well, speaking of shoving some dark universe down people's throats, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and do our mashups. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ariel, that was an amazing segue into the ad break. So uh, we did decide to go with something spooky for one half of our mashups, and that is uh, The Mummy. We, we thought The Mummy mm-hmm. would be ripe for us to use. What is the other half of our mashup uh, equation? Uh, James Bond, because the is it No Time to Die is the most recent James Bond movie? That one just came out. Yeah, the final it's the final Daniel Craig James Bond film. Yes. Yes. So inspired by the fact that Daniel Craig is is uh, shaking his martini for the last time, we thought we would mash up these two properties. Uh, Who would you like to go first, Ariel? I'll go first. And I will say I am I vaguely built my mashup off of the Brendan Fraser version of The Mummy, not the Tom Cruise, nor the very original one. Um, so this is called The Mysterious M. Bond, James Bond, had just gotten done capturing Ernst Stavro Blofeld and decided to visit his deceased love's tomb. But when he got to the place where Vesper had been laid to rest, the site was anything but restful. In fact, it was completely empty. Only a hole remained. But before Bond could figure out what was going on, 
a bomb detonated, and he was knocked out. When Bond comes to, he sees Q and Moneypenny hovering over him. They say due to the severity of his internal trauma, they are taking him off his latest assignment, taking away all of his gadgets, and relegating him to desk duty for the time being. But James, no stranger to pushing his body past its limits, protests. He insists on seeing M and getting his assignment back, but is told by Moneypenny that M is indisposed and he cannot see her. This is in a world where M is still alive. Uh, All day at his desk, Bond feels something is off, and so he waits until late at night when the MI6 is shut down to a skeleton crew, and he sneaks into M's office. When he gets into M's office, it's a shambles. Everything is overturned. There are scratch marks on the walls and desk and dusty bits of cloth and jerky everywhere. And the secret door out of M's office is broken. Bond starts to go down the secret hallway, but thinks he hears someone coming up from the other end and leaves before he can be caught. The next day, Bond goes to confront Moneypenny, but she hasn't come into work. Bond decides to visit Q instead to figure out what's going on, since Q was the other person who delivered Bond's new orders, but Q's door is locked. And when Bond tries to get into the lab, he's told by Q through the intercom to go away. But Bond is undeterred. Even though his gadgets are gone, his skills are not, and he MacGyvers his way into Q's office. Once inside, Bond can see that Q is in bad shape. He has scratches all over him, a chunk is missing out of his arm, and he is sweating profusely due to a high fever. Bond tries to glean what's happened from Q, but before he can, Q passes out. Bond quickly raids Q's lab and bugs his phone to try to get any more pieces to the puzzle now that all the people he knew that had pieces are unconscious or gone. And then it happens. Q receives a message from Cairo. A one Ben Benny Gaber, in fact. Bond, with no one around to stop him, traces the call to Benny's location and hops a private jet to Egypt. Once in Egypt, Bond finds Benny and gets the truth out of him. At first, Bond did not believe it. Working for a mummy? Did Benny take Bond to be a fool? But when the man's story did not waver even an iota, no matter what Bond put him through, Bond knew it was true. You see, Vesper, Bond's old love, was to be the new vessel of Imhotep's long-lost love. Years ago, Tomb Raiders had broken into Imhotep's crypt and awoken him. The grave robbers, one of whom was a reincarnate of Imhotep's love, all escaped, but Benny did not, and he was stuck to be a servant to Imhotep. I can't say this name until the day that his love was returned to him. And Vesper was a relative uh, to the original grave robber love, and therefore was also cursed to be a new vessel. But sadly, before Benny could dig up the grave of Vesper to bring her corpse to Imhotep, MI6 got word and retrieved the body. They hadn't told Bond, knowing he was too close to the situation. However, once they had retrieved the body, Vesper reanimated in the headquarters due to the curse and Imhotep's power, at which point she scratched and turned M into a mummy zombie. It's a thing, people. Deal with it. Q and Moneypenny, knowing that the news on M being mummified could, if it got out, would be trouble, tried to contain the secret. Moneypenny fell to M, and then Q contained both M, Moneypenny, and Vesper, trying to find a cure, but not before getting scratched and bitten himself. Benny then offers James Bond a cure, now we're back in Egypt, in exchange for Bond to set him free. Bond agrees, and after Benny gives him the cure, Bond gives Benny a bullet between the eyes. Bond swiftly returns home to London and tries to save his teammates. He finds Money Penny and M locked up and is able to cure them. And Q's condition is also reversible, but Vesper, or what had once been Vesper, has disappeared without a trace. That night, Bond goes to bed, worried about how things have been left, and anxiously closes his eyes. And then we see a shambling shadow on his wall, cut to black. And that's how Daniel Craig retires. (laughs) (laughs) But it really really sets the bar high for the next Bond. Yes. (laughs) It's going to start with a mummy fight. (laughs) This this one, here is my uh, mashup, and I call this one Keeping It Under Wraps. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, which I'm guessing has to be also the name of whatever song it is. And someone's got to sing it. I'll say it's. um, Oh, I don't know. Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish does a song <laughs> called Keeping It Under Wraps, and that becomes the theme song. Uh, all right, here we go. <clears throat> James Bond has a problem. See, he accidentally ended up in ancient Egypt somehow and got mummified in a tomb for 3,000 years. So when Dr. No's long-lost son, Dr. No-No, hatched his own evil plan to disrupt the International Space Station by causing a bank of thrusters to send it into a spin while 
blocking all signals to try and, you know, reverse that, MI6 was without their greatest agent. However, as we all know, the British are fantastic at taking other people's stuff. And so M himself, um, in, in this, in this version, M is a guy again, uh, is overjoyed to discover that at a British museum exhibit on the ancient Egyptians, the very sarcophagus holding James Bond's mummified corpse remains, uh, on display. It's right there. And so he sends Q to the museum to check it out. Q using a gadget that was intended to zap bad guys by convincing them to pull out a stick of gum before electrifying them, uh, manages to reanimate the mummified Bond. And while Bond doesn't quite have the mobility he had in life, he's still a heck of a spy. Kind of. I mean, honestly, he was never really a good spy, was he? I mean, after all, he would introduce himself by name to people without being prompted. Seems like the kind of thing you would actively avoid doing if you were a spy. I mean, like, hey, how are you? I'm James Bond. Oh, you mean the international spy? Well, nice chatting with you, but we're done here. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> Bond shuffles off to track down Dr. No-No, who he suspects has taken up residence on Crab Key. That's the same island that Dr. No had built a base upon. Generally, people avoid that island because it's radioactive. So in case you haven't seen Dr. No, and I'm guessing 98% of our audience hasn't. The bad guy in that movie sets up his base and has a nuclear power plant on it, and it provides power to a radio beam that Dr. No was using to jam signals that were around Project Mercury, which was, of course, an early space race project at NASA. But in the end, uh, James Bond causes a nuclear meltdown, and as a result, everyone evacuated the island because it got radioactive. Okay, so anyway... We next see Bond in full mummy bandages from head to toe aboard a yacht sailing toward what we assume is Crab Key. And like, there's this super hot Egyptologist woman on board. She's, um, oh gosh, I gotta give her a name. Um, her name is Sally O. Cyrus. Sally <laughs> Osiris. Uh, you know, because the James Bond series tends to be stuck in this whole Bond girl mentality that really belongs to a different era, but whatever. And Bond is like, I'll have a martini, shaken, not stirred. But it comes out. <laughs> but, you know, they all figure it out in the end and he gets his martini. And then after spending way too long trying to figure out how he's going to drink the darn thing, because, you know, he's covered in bandages all over. He just ends up pouring it on top of his head and just lets it soak in through the bandages. Okay, anyway, the yacht gets as close to the island as they dare before their Geiger counters on board start warning them that if they get any closer, then the living people on board the ship will receive an unhealthy dose of radi radiation. So then Bond, because he's undead, just gets in his special submarine sarcophagus that Q made. And it's weird that Q had even made this and it was ready to go before they even rediscovered Bond. Q's into some weird stuff. Anyway, Bond takes the submersible sarcophagus to the island unseen and he emerges from it near the shore and he slogs the rest of the way up to the beach in what can only be described as a really pathetic recreation of the beach scene from the original Dr. No. He then shuffles off to the decrepit base on the island dripping the whole way. And once there, he infiltrates the base. And by infiltrates, I mean he mostly kind of stumbles through it because, again, he's got really limited mobility and, and visibility. Uh, he encounters no henchmen or henchwomen uh, because the place is radioactive. But he does turn a corner and he comes face to face with Dr. No-No. Now, Dr. No-No is wearing a big clunky suit and presumably this protects him from the radiation and Bond recognizes Dr. No-No right away saying you have your father's hands and sure enough No-No has two mechanical hands that stick out from the suit because if you had seen Dr. No you would know that he also had mechanical hands because he <laughs> lost his regular hands due to radiation poisoning so apparently this was an inherited trait his son also has mechanical <laughs> hands. But none of that really matters because Dr. No-No hears. <laughs> so Dr. No-No says, what? And what we get is a scene that stretches on about four minutes too long of James Bond trying to fire off a witty one-liner to Dr. No-No. And Dr. No-No is trying to figure out what the heck James Bond is even saying. It's kind of like 
a really unfunny scene in a later Austin Powers movie. Okay, that's redundant. It's like a scene in a later Austin Powers movie. So anyway, this goes on for a while until we get the slowest, most awkward fight scene from any of the Bond films, and I am including the Roger Moore ones. So Bond is stiff, plus, you know, he's a stiff, and he's slow, but then so is Dr. No-No because he's in this big bulky suit. So it's like watching two people in those giant sumo wrestler inflatable outfits try to struggle. Uh, but eventually Bond is able to get the upper hand and he rips Dr. No-No's suit and thus exposes Dr. No-No to radiation, which makes him freak out big time. And then Bond shuffles over to the controls and he manages to make the International Space Station stop spinning, though now it's upside down and the lights are going off and on like a disco, but he can't figure out how to fix that part. So then Bond leaves the island and along the way he meets up with the hot Egyptologist and he says something really sexist that for some reason she finds charming and... The movie ends, I guess. The end. I really enjoyed that. (laughs) My mashups become more of a diatribe against whatever it is we're mashing up. Listen, usually when you do that, it's it's allowable and very entertaining. So. Well, thank you. Uh, I I appreciated the opportunity to go back and revisit uh, a classic Sean Connery era (laughs) James Bond film. Yes. That I again, I doubt like most of the people listening to this podcast probably have not seen it. That's not a judgment. That's just, that's just a, a guess. Like, I don't Look, think, I don't think you're a lesser person for not having seen Dr. No. Yeah, I, I agree. And, or most James Bond movies or any Daniel Craig, James Bond movies either. Although I really did like Casino Royale. So. Yeah. That one, that one in particular, like it was, I mean, for one thing, it was such a tonal change. Like it was a very, dark and gritty James Bond, which we had not like, there were some of those, uh, in the, the, was it, was it the Timothy Dalton or no, it was the Pierce Brosnan ones that kind of got pretty dark, but this, this one was going even further than that, but it, it worked. Daniel Craig made it work. Yeah, I agree. Well, if you have an idea of how a mashup between the mummy and James Bond could work that we didn't cover. You should write us and tell us. And if we like it, we'll even read it on an episode. Yes. You can write us by sending an email to LNC at iHeartMedia.com, or you can contact us on social media. Of course you'll have limited space there, but on Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast and on Facebook and Instagram, assuming they're up when you try, <laughs> we are, we are large Nerdron collider. Yes. And if you like the show, make sure to like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your families all about that. If you don't like it, as Jonathan loves to say, tell your enemies. Um, just don't tell them you don't like it. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, we just want the downloads. We're using you. You'll. Yes. You know, but we're, we're honest about it. So Honesty no, we love you. We, we do love, love you. you. We love you and we love hearing from you. So yes. we would love to hear from you and get to just geek out with you. Absolutely. And until next time, I am Jonathan Shaken, not stirred Strickland. And I am Ariel Under Wraps Caston. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. This show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.